Hey there, good morning. It's Paige Browning. It's Thursday. This is Seattle Now. Does social media actually harm teens' mental health? That's the question at the heart of a lawsuit between Seattle public schools and major technology companies. But there's not a simple answer. In a minute, UW researcher Lucia Magus Weinberg will lay out what we know about the topic and what's being done to address the negative impacts of social media. But first, let's get you caught up. Microsoft is the latest tech giant to announce it's slimming down in preparation for economic downturn. With that, 10,000 Microsoft employees worldwide will lose their jobs this year. That includes nearly 900 Redmond area workers who already got their notice yesterday. CEO Satya Nadella wrote in a letter to the employees that they're seeing organizations in every industry exercise caution and they have to make hard choices. Over at Amazon, the company is laying off 18,000 people this year. 2,300 are in the Seattle region. If you vote in Pierce County, you may hear this week that the last four digits of your social security number were given out. Pierce County says it inadvertently shared the info of 463,000 registered voters with someone who filed a public records request. The person who obtained it says they already deleted it, knowing they were not supposed to receive it. The county chalks it up to human error and says the employee who hit send on voter data realized it nearly immediately and contacted a supervisor. And a bass player who helped develop the Northwest grunge sound has died. Screaming Trees bassist and songwriter Van Connor died this week at age 55 after an extended illness. The Screaming Trees, the band he co-founded with his brother and friends in Ellensburg, pumped out psychedelic rock and grunge albums before grunge took off in the music scene. Bandmate Mark Lanigan died last year. Social media companies have been under fire for years for the effects their products have on mental health. Now two local school districts are suing major tech companies, saying their platforms are causing harm to students. We wanted to learn more about the science behind this dynamic, so we called up Lucia Magus Weinberg. She's an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Washington, and she studies youth, mental health, and social media. She says the youth she works with generally see social media as a positive. They have fun online, they learn new things, they can raise their voices and speak for what they believe in. But... They are aware of the drawbacks and ways that the digital world adds stress to their lives. They also feel the pressures of being online, of being constantly available for friends, these new sources of digital stress. Lucia is here with me to dig further into this topic. Lucia, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Paige. And the lawsuit I mentioned by school districts cites research that found a link between young people using social media and experiencing mental health issues. What do we know about a possible link there between mental health and using social media? Well, I think the first thing to keep in mind is that mental health is a very complex result of a combination of factors. Mm -hmm. Our relationships play a huge role in our mental health, our biology, our environments, the types of resources and opportunities we have out there. They will all play a huge role in our mental health. And of course, social media has come to transform many of those experiences. So we do believe that social media might be playing a role, but it's definitely not the the whole story. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to want a simple answer here. But as you're saying, it, you know, it's a complex environment. But 
youth are using these apps. Most of us are using these apps. How do we know how much social media is contributing to mental health issues? Do we know that? Well, that's a question that me and a lot of my colleagues are investigating. Uh, We talk a lot about a chicken and egg type of thing, what is causing what. We now know that perhaps some young people who already might have vulnerabilities, they might have higher symptoms of depression and anxiety, might be using social media in more different ways, in ways that could be potentially more harmful. We hear a lot from youth who might have body issue concerns, who are going online Mm. and comparing their bodies to others, right? Zooming into pictures of these beautiful models online, which are heavily edited. Mm -hmm. That is, of course, impacting their mental health. So on the one hand, it might be that youth who are vulnerable are using social media in different, more harmful ways. The other directionality, what a lot of our colleagues have found, is that the effects are negative, but very small in size. We actually talk about the Goldilocks uh, effect, hmm. where too little or and too much of social media, as of many other things, is harmful. But actually, there is a healthy balance because hmm. we do want young people to be connected, to be online, to be learning. Right. So the solution is not to be completely disconnected online. So for everyone, there is a sweet spot. Hmm. It might vary individual by individual, but we do talk about this Goldilocks effect. Of course, I'm going to ask what that sweet spot is, <laughs> what, you know, what temperature is right. What do we know about what the right amount is, particularly for kids and teenagers? So one thing that we want to move away from is focusing solely on quantity, right? There's been a lot of concern around screen time. Right. And if you think as a doctor, if someone told you, well, I ate 2,000 calories, Is that enough information for you to make a decision? Hmm. It likely isn't, right? I want to know, are those 2,000 calories coming from fast food? Are those 2,000 calories coming from a healthy, balanced diet? How many cookies are in there? (laughs) Exactly. For me, a lot. (laughs) Or digital cookies in this case. Yes. Um, I don't have a magic answer for number of hours someone should be online. We really want to be focused on the quality. What are young people doing online? Are they spending that one hour talking to grandparents who might be far away? Or are they spending Mm. that one hour just scrolling endlessly through Instagram, in the Mm. couch, not really engaging actively with content? Mm. You know, I'm an on and off social media user myself. Sometimes I cannot go there. And sometimes if I'm like really stressed or tired or just don't want to deal with the real world, I will lose hours sitting on the couch and, you know, looking at TikTok. But I'm an adult. What do we know about the difference that young people are experiencing in their brains versus how I might be experiencing social media? Well, there's three big changes that we think of in the adolescent brain as they're developing. Adolescent brains are particularly sensitive to the social environment. Adolescents will reorient away from their parents towards their peers. That has always happened. So it's a brain that is very sensitive to the social environment. It's also a brain that's very sensitive to reward, to getting a good grade, to getting a like, to seeing a smile on someone's face, even tasting sugar, for example. Mm. Like these rewards in adolescent brains elicit higher activation. Mm -hmm. And the third thing is that it's a brain that is developing its capacity to self-regulate. These three aspects of adolescent brain development are interacting with design features of social media that make it particularly appealing, Mm. right, to getting likes, to getting all the social information, 
uh, when you're watching Netflix and it suggests a new episode and it starts playing, right. that is asking for us to self-regulate, to control our behavior. Mm. That's hard for me as an adult. It's right. even harder for children and adolescents who are developing. Right, right. Are you hearing from them that they are pressured to post more content or certain types of content to elicit likes from others? Definitely. So even before social media existed, adolescence is a time in which you're super concerned with being popular, with having status. And that's always been the case. And when I was growing up, for example, there wasn't any social media. So I was I sort of knew where I stood. Right. I wasn't as popular, but I wasn't the least popular girl in my classroom. Now you can put a number to that. So we think that that design feature of social media is uniquely appealing to these developing sensitivities of the adolescent brain, the adolescent psychology. Mm. We also know adolescents tend to take risks. Many of the risks are very positive, but some aren't. Mm. So we now know that perhaps seeing a picture of someone engaging in risky behaviors, say someone drinking alcohol at a party, right. and that post gets a lot of likes, well, then adolescents might start to think, then I need to emulate that behavior to get likes, right? This might distort their impressions of what everyone else is doing and what is popular and what will get you likes. You did touch on the pockets of the Internet and social media that can bring good. You know, I'm thinking of pages and channels that are intended to educate youth about mental health issues or, for example, influencers or channels within the LGBTQ community where youth or even adults can learn about their own sexuality or gender identity without their peers watching. So how much of an impact is that having in the positive way? Very much. You're touching up on a very important point. We do think that social media has opened avenues for marginalized youth who might perhaps not find community in their local environments, who go online and find the supportive community out there who, as you say, helps them explore, helps them experiment with different things. So definitely social media has provided a very important bridge for, for a lot of young people. Uh, we know young people who might have chronic disorders, who uh, might be users of wheelchairs, for example, online worlds do offer them a bit more capacity to explore. Mm -hmm. And you can connect with people who are experiencing the world the same way exactly. more easily. So part of your work is helping solve some of these issues by teaching youth skills. Tell me about that work. What skills are you trying to arm them with? Definitely. So we now talk about a concept called digital citizenship, which is a broad concept that encompasses a lot of the skills and abilities we need to participate in the online worlds in ways that are safe, that are meaningful, that are smart, that are really contributing to our positive development. So I think the early training in this space was very focused with cybersecurity and with mm. passwords and with keeping kids safe. But that's not enough. It's an important step, but that's not enough. Mm. How can we teach kids to extract the most benefit from the online world? Right. So in digital citizenship, with the materials that we work in schools with, we talk about media balance and well-being. We do talk about privacy and security. We do talk about our digital footprints, all the information that we're putting out there that will contribute to define us, whether we want it or not. We talk a lot about how relationships look online, how we can solve conflict online, how we can regulate our emotions online. Mm. We talk a lot about digital drama, for example, cyberbullying, mm -hmm. and of course, a big component of digital literacy, how to deal with information, how to know whether this information is true or false, misinformation. All of those things yeah. are part of digital citizenship.
Yeah. It feels like there's so much that the teachers, parents, and students could do, but that the companies ultimately have the power and run the networks. So what kind of changes do you think would make an impact from the highest level? Social media was originally intended, I think, for adults. We need to have a strong conversation of how this looks like when these products are being used by minors, Mm -hmm. by children and adolescents who are developing, who are still developing their understanding of what happens with their uh, online data, their personal data online, for example. Uh, The UK has put forward the age-appropriate design code, which are recommendations that will become regulation for products that have have minors in their platforms. Mm. For example, they ask these products to be safe by default, to be private by default. For example, I think now if you open an Instagram account and you're under 16 years of age, by default your account will be private, which is a a nudge in the good direction. We are asking companies to not collect unnecessary loads of data, uh, more than are necessary for the product to work. So GPS location should be off by default. All of this extra tracking that happens, maybe adults, we can decide whether we want to consent into these practices. But design should be different when we're thinking about young people using platforms. Mm -hmm. And ideally, if I had a magic wand, online spaces that weren't commercial. Ah. Because for all the, the great things social media has... It allows you to connect at a distance, to learn, to interact, to right. keep in touch with friends. It's all happening in commercial platforms. Right. The more you're on there, the more money is made. Exactly. We could have free spaces, public spaces that were safe, mm-hmm. where all your interactions are not uh, commercialized. Yeah. Well, I would join that app, Lucia. <laughs> Lucia Magus Weinberg is an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Washington. Thank you, Lucia, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, Vaughn Jones, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in their network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Paige Browning. We'll see you tomorrow. 